Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of mega cities. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And at least one mega city in Japan is the topic of today's episode. We're talking about Tokyo. After uh, 88 episodes, we decided it was finally worth spending an episode on Tokyo. Always knew we'd get here eventually. Yeah. Well, we have mentioned Tokyo in a bunch of other episodes. True. You know, even in episode two, we went into uh, you know some amount of detail about the Kanto region, which is where Tokyo is located. But today we're going to dig in much deeper, talk about some of the most popular areas in Tokyo, most popular attractions that you might want to see if you're in Tokyo, that kind of thing. Yeah, and even with the full episode, Tokyo's such a monster of a city. We're just going to be scratching the surface. Definitely. You know, I, I wrote down like my personal favorite neighborhoods in Tokyo. Yeah. But one of the articles that I was reading was like, here are 47 neighborhoods in Tokyo. And that's not even all of them, but you know, they had a, a little blurb to say about each of them. And it's like, if we did that many <laughs> neighborhoods, we'd have to spend less than a minute on each one, you know? Yeah. That'd be so quick. Yeah. So to get some basics out of the way, Tokyo is located in central Honshu. Honshu is that big, long main island of Japan, and uh, Tokyo is on the Pacific coast. Population of Tokyo Prefecture is just about 14 million, but the greater Tokyo area, which is basically the entire Kanto region, has over 38 million people, which is almost a third of the population of Japan. That's so many. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. Like, I can't wrap my head around how many people that is. That's the largest metropolitan area in the world. Yeah. I mean, Japan's about the size of California. And just in that region, there's more than 10% of the population of the United States. Right? That's one way to think about it. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. Tokyo is... More or less the center of everything in Japan. Government, industry, finance, culture. Tokyo's got it all. You're going to piss off the Osakans, Paul. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. <laughs> Osaka, don't get me wrong. I love Osaka. Such a great feel, but Tokyo is the center. There's a lot there. I mean, you could spend your entire trip in Tokyo and never get bored. And every day you could go to a different part of the city and see totally different stuff. Like each part of Tokyo has its own kind of feel to it, you know? And of course, around the edges of Tokyo, you can get out into the suburbs, get out into nature a little bit. There's, there's something for everybody. Yeah, I feel like you'd have to live in Tokyo your whole life and go out like multiple times per week to even be familiar with most of the city. I got a couple quick Tokyo facts for us here. In the latest edition of the Michelin Guide, there were 223 restaurants in Tokyo with at least one Michelin star. Wow. Which is the most of any city currently in the world. I would imagine. Tokyo has the most neon signs in the world. I don't think that's going to surprise anybody. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave it on that one. Okay. Should we talk about a brief history of Tokyo? 
Yeah, there's so much to talk about in this episode. I tried to make this like very super overview of Tokyo. Yeah. We could do a whole episode on the history of the city, I'm right. sure. Exactly. But I, yeah, I'm excited to get to the, the actual neighborhoods and stuff. So first thing I got is Tokyo started out as a small fishing village called Edo. You've probably yes. heard of Edo if you are a longtime listener of the podcast. There's literally a period of history named after it. Yep. So yeah, probably. Which we mention in probably every episode <laughs> in the history section. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Edo was first fortified by the Edo clan in the late 12th century. That's where it got its name, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, the word Edo is made up of two kanji, the first meaning cove or inlet, and the second meaning entrance or door. So Edo could actually be translated as something like estuary, which makes a lot of sense given its location where the Sumida River meets Tokyo Bay. Yeah. In 1457, Ota Dokan built Edo Castle, which is now part of the Imperial Palace. Mm-hmm. In 1590, things started getting really interesting when Tokugawa Ieyasu moved from Mikawa province to the Kanto region. So when he became shogun in 1603, Edo became the center of his government and power base. Mm-hmm. The official capital was still Kyoto, but yeah, everything with the uh, Tokugawas was happening in Edo. Yep. That began the Edo period, and Edo grew really quickly, over a million people in the city by the 18th century. In 1868, a whole lot of things changed along with the Meiji Restoration. So the Meiji Emperor was moved to Edo, and the city was renamed Tokyo, which translates directly to Eastern Capital. Fun fact, by the way, that Kyo at the end of Tokyo is the same Kyo at the beginning of Kyoto. That's the one that means capital. Whoa. So Kyoto basically just means capital city, and Tokyo means Eastern Capital. That's cool. Yeah. Nice, nice little fact there. Word stuff is always fun, you know? <laughs> okay, so now that the emperor was moved to Tokyo, at this point, Tokyo became the official capital. It wasn't Kyoto anymore, which ended Kyoto's like around a thousand years of being the capital of Japan. Yeah. In 1923, Tokyo was devastated by the great Kanto earthquake, one of the biggest to ever hit Japan, I believe. We covered that in episode 19, by the way, if you want to hear more about earthquakes. Yeah, we did a whole episode on earthquakes. They're fascinating and a little terrifying. A little bit. Uh, in World War II, Tokyo went through air raids, and the bombing of Tokyo in 1944 to 1945 is estimated to have killed between 75 and 200,000 civilians and left more than half the city destroyed. That's unimaginable yeah it is hard to imagine living in like a developed city and just half of it gets wiped out and we're talking 1945 here so what is that 75 ish years ago not that long ago in the grand scheme of things and tokyo's the largest metropolis in the world right now and it was half destroyed and 200,000 people killed 75 years ago what a 75 years that's been, huh? Yeah, things have changed rapidly since then. Uh, after the war, Tokyo experienced rapid economic growth and is now a world-class city, the world's biggest metropolis. 
I mean, it's one of the most famous cities in the world. Yeah, Tokyo famously hosted the 1964 Summer Olympics. It was their coming out party on the world stage, showing off. We've rebuilt. Look at this wonderful city we have. And obviously, just had the Olympics again, showing off their robots this time. Did you ever see any like videos of those guys? Just a couple. I didn't watch that much Olympics. Mm, me either. But didn't that work out well, though? Robots to do any possible task instead of a human in the middle of a pandemic is actually a really good idea. I guess. You know, how much human to human contact did they cut down for robots helping people? I don't know. How involved were those robots? Well, I remember there were robots that would like show people their seats and give people directions. And I do remember talking about that, but there weren't that many people around, you know? True. Yeah, there wasn't uh, early spectators. Help the athletes find their events. Okay. Okay, so one more thing before we get into each area of Tokyo. I wanted to talk briefly about how the city is laid out. So central Tokyo has 23 special wards. And Tokyo is unique in, in this sense. There's no other Japanese city that's organized in quite the same way Tokyo is. So you've probably heard some of the more popular of these wards, like Shinjuku and Shibuya. And each of these wards is also further divided into many districts. And it can get a little confusing because the districts often have the same name as the ward. So there's a Shinjuku district and Shinjuku ward, that kind of thing. But it's not something to worry about. You don't really need to think about that because... I think it's probably easiest to think about the city just in terms of train stations. You know, neighborhoods are kind of thought of as like the area around a certain train station, right? Yeah, you nailed it there. It's all about how close is it to this train station or mm -hmm. that train station. Everything revolves around the train stations. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense because the train system in Tokyo is amazing. Yep. So in addition to these 23 special wards... The Tokyo metropolis also includes 39 other ordinary municipalities. Some of these are like the smaller islands just off the coast. Some of these are less densely populated suburbs, kind of west of those wards. That area west of the wards is known as the Tama area, or western Tokyo. But in this episode, we're going to focus mostly on those 23 wards, because that's where most tourists spend the bulk of their time in Tokyo. Yes. And this is, after all, a travel podcast, at least at its core, right? Yes, it is. That's our story. That's always been our story. <laughs> yeah. So, like we mentioned at the beginning, we don't have time to cover every ward, every district, but we're going to talk about the most popular areas, our favorite areas, and I tried to come up with a list of what I would consider must-sees. So, as we go through, I'll point out when we come across something like you need to go here. If you're going to Tokyo for the first time, do not miss this. Sounds good. I feel like we should start with Shinjuku. Probably a good place to start. Shinjuku Station is the busiest station in Japan. Is it also in the world? I'm not sure anymore. There's some crazy stuff in Beijing going on. Yeah, China's, China's always in competition for... The most whatever in the world, yeah, it seems yeah. like. But it's right up there. 
anything that's train and the most of in Japan is going to be near the top in the world too. Yeah. I would say we're starting with Shinjuku because I would recommend Shinjuku if like someone had never been to Japan, never been to Tokyo and they wanted to like, where should I go in Tokyo? I feel like Shinjuku gives you a good like, this is Tokyo. Yeah, you could probably say that the whole area of Shinjuku is a must-see in Tokyo. Right, like you can't right. go to Tokyo and not at least spend some time in Shinjuku. Like you said, it's the busiest train station in Japan. On every single side of the train station, it's surrounded with shopping and malls and restaurants, some of it underground. There's a massive labyrinth of stores and trains yeah and a lot of those neon signs that you mentioned i'm sure are in shinjuku everything is just it's a really bright place everything's always lit up always packed with people yeah if you really want to see the neon lights i've heard that they're the best in kabukicho yeah there's this one street that's i don't know it's just a really popular subject of pictures like people like to take pictures down this one street because it's just a wall of signs, like just super bright, lit up signs. Yeah, you've you've probably seen a picture of this street if you've like seen neon sign pictures in mm-hmm. Tokyo. You know, I actually stayed in Kabukicho on my last trip, so I ended up walking down that street a bunch because it you was. You stayed there. Yeah, isn't it kind of like a red light district? It is a red light district, and some people... So you're staying in the red light district. What are you up to, Jason? Oh, come on, Paul. If I didn't know you so well. I just found a good hotel that was, like, not too far from Shinjuku Station, and... Yeah, the spot oh, you know is what? incredible. I think this hotel was actually, like, brand new, so it just seemed like a good place to stay, and I got a really good price. Anyway, I enjoyed staying there, and uh, I didn't have any issues. Like, some people say... Kabukicho is like the most dangerous area in Japan. Yeah, but that's like relative to Japan, which is not dangerous. Yeah, Kabukicho is, is, I felt safer there than like in New York City, for example. Yeah, I've never been to New York, but I'm sure that's true. (laughs) Yeah, but um, yeah, I didn't have a problem staying there. The one thing that I didn't love about staying that close to like the middle of Shinjuku is just there are so many people. It's like every day when I walk to the train station, you're wading through a mosh pit, basically, you know? And there are tons, like tons of the people around there are tourists too. Like it just feels really touristy. I want to get a little further out into, you know, more quote unquote authentic parts of Tokyo or whatever, you know? Yeah, I've stayed in quieter parts of the city and enjoyed it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how thick the crowds of people can get in Tokyo. It's the only place I've ever experienced it like that. Just so many people everywhere. Totally. Uh, So one pretty cool attraction in Shinjuku is Shinjuku Gyoen National Garden. Paul, have you been there? Uh, Yes, I have. Cool. Me too. And uh, what did you think of it? It's a lovely park. It is. If you're into gardens, go here. It's massive, for one thing. Yeah, one of the biggest parks in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. It also is kind of fun because it has three different sections, each with its own style. So there's a traditional Japanese section of the garden. There's also another section that's based on a French formal style. And then there's an English landscape garden as well. So you get to see 
you can kind of compare and contrast these different styles of gardens from around the world. Yeah, that is fun. Mm -hmm. It was originally an imperial garden. And then in 1949, it got opened up to the public. Mm -hmm. So you can go walk around in this luxurious imperial garden. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, I would highly recommend hitting up one of those vending machines at the entrance. You know, pick out the perfect drink, and then you can walk around the garden sipping on it and just have a lovely time. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention in Shinjuku that is super cool is Golden Guy. If you want to have a drink in an unforgettable setting, go to Golden Guy. Have you ever been there, Paul? No. I went there with my fiance. Uh, we met up with a friend of hers that was living in Tokyo, actually, and she brought us there. And I'll try to describe this. It's like, it's a pretty small area. There are six narrow alleyways lined with over 200 little tiny bars that just have this really cool ambiance. It's like... Uh, the type of place where you walk in and there are only like six seats. There's like a bar and a few seats and that's it. So it's a very intimate setting, you know. And the whole place, Golden Guy just feels like old Tokyo. You know, you can imagine, you know, 50 to 100 years ago, it probably looked pretty similar. That's cool. Yeah. Wikipedia calls them shanty style bars, which seems... Fairly yeah. accurate. I mean, they're yeah, just okay. they're just really Maybe. tiny. They're all like stacked up on top of each other. Yeah. It's just a really cool atmosphere there. One last thing in Shinjuku. If you want to get some amazing views of the city, go to the Tokyo Metropolitan Government Building. They have these two panoramic observation decks up at the top. I haven't gone there personally, but the observation decks are free. They have gift shops and cafes up there too, so you can get a you know get a coffee and just look out over the city. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I heard that's really nice. Well, let's hop over to Shibuya next, another very famous part of the city. Yeah, so Shibuya is a center for youth fashion, culture, and entertainment. You're going to find a lot of shops, restaurants, clubs, department stores, that kind of thing. Most famous attraction probably, or definitely, is Shibuya Crossing. Everyone comes to see the crossing. Yeah. There's so many pictures and videos of it around, too. It is the world's busiest pedestrian crossing. Every time the light turns green, about 2,500 people cross the street. It's crazy. I knew it was busy. I've been there. I've seen it. I've been one of those people. But reading that number... I almost couldn't believe it. I went and checked like three other sources. I was like, no way. And some of them were like 3,000. And I was like, what? 3,000 people cross one street at one time? Like, yeah. or one intersection at one time? It's also cool because the lights turn red on all sides at the same time. So it's like people flood into the intersection from all directions at the same time. Yes. And it fills up. Mm -hmm. It's almost hard to like navigate between everybody and get to the other side sometimes. Yeah. And you'll probably see a bunch of people like making weird poses and stuff because people love getting pictures in the middle of the crossing. Yeah. That kind of thing. So I would call this a must see. If you're in Tokyo, you got to go to Shibuya Crossing. Yeah. And the whole thing too, like neon signs everywhere. There's three massive 
like TVs, broadcasting, advertisements. It's like a full-on Tokyo experience. Yeah. It's a lot like New York's Times Square in that sense of like just billboards everywhere. What is better than Times Square? It's like Times Square as if everyone was crossing the street at the same time instead of just standing there. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but better. And there are people around 24-7. And that's probably true in Shinjuku too. I heard people call Shinjuku like the, you know, Shinjuku never sleeps or whatever. Yeah. But on one of my trips, I was really jet lagged my first night there. And I ended up waking up at like 3 a.m. And uh, just had to go do something. So I wandered down to Shibuya Crossing. And there are a bunch of people around. Yeah. The thing about cities that run on trains is the last train's going to go at like 1 a.m. or whatever. And if you're still out, you got to just keep going until like four or five in the morning when the trains start running again. Or find a capsule hotel. Sure, yeah, if you want to. Or a manga cafe. If you if you want to. <laughs> but yeah, it's most fun to just stay up, right? <laughs> yeah. Just push through. Yeah. Um, oh, so there's a Starbucks with a seating area that overlooks the crossing. Have you been to that Starbucks, Paul? Nah, not a not a coffee guy. Oh, that's right. They have tea and stuff too. Yeah. But if uh, I was with someone that really wanted Starbucks, I'd go. Yeah. Well, I think it's worth it to just get a drink and go sit there and watch people. It was actually that same morning when I was there really early. I got to Starbucks like when they opened and I just went and sat up there and watched the crossing for a while. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So, Paul, if you go to Shibuya Station, you know, train stations in Japan have a bunch of exits, right? Which exit do you want to take to get to the crossing? The Hachiko exit. Yeah. So, there's going to be a statue of a dog there. And that's a famous meeting spot for people. So, I'll meet by Hachiko. Hachiko is the dog. Is the dog. This A dog named Hachiko used to greet his human at the train every day i think he was a professor and he would come home from the college and meet hachiko there every day and they'd walk home together well one day his human died at work and never came home and hachiko came to the train every single day for the rest of his life waiting for his human to come back to him and the people around the area were so moved by it that they took care of him and they built a statue of him when he died. Very loyal, sweet dog. That's how they get the name Man's Best Friend. That's uh, incredible. From Hachiko? Yeah, that's incredible loyalty. From Hachiko and other dogs like him. Can't miss the famous 109 building. There's this tall, skinny, circular building that's called 109. And it's just full of all these little fashion-trending shops for young women. Yeah, you'll see it from the crossing. Like, it's a, a very prominent building there. It's got that big 109 sign at the top. Uh, if you happen to be in Tokyo around Halloween or on New Year's, you should definitely go to Shibuya Crossing, because uh, on New Year's, they do a countdown there. And on Halloween, it's just this massive party that Paul and I partook in. Twice. Year. Twice? Yeah, uh, I can't remember exactly how it worked out, but we went on Halloween, which then, was like a weekday, but we also went on like the nearest Saturday, yeah. and it was big parties both night. It, it was great. We got to double dip our Halloween. Yeah, it was incredible. Like It's just something you have to experience if you are in the city at that time, I would say. 
so many great costumes. It was yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, a lot of great pictures from those nights. Yeah. Uh, there's also, if you want to get a nice view of the crossing, there's a new high-rise building there. It opened at the end of 2019 called Shibuya Scramble Square. Ooh. You hear about this? There's so many new buildings. Reading, I was researching about Tokyo, and there were a ton of stuff that's like opened up in the last five years, and I'm like, ah, I haven't seen any of this stuff. Yeah. Ah, I'll you, get back. I'll get back someday. Yeah, it'll be like a whole new city once we manage to get back there. Yeah. So you can go to the 46th floor of this building, and there are amazing views of the crossing. You can look out at the rest of Tokyo. There's also a bar and a lounge up there, which looks awesome. Just get a drink and you can feel real classy, you know. Buy a slightly more expensive drink than I normally buy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also in Shibuya is Meiji Jingu, or Meiji Shrine. This is a Shinto shrine that enshrines Emperor Meiji and his wife. Paul, you've been there. I assume you must have been there, right? Yeah. It's a very pretty shrine. And it's in the middle of this massive garden, another massive garden, that is uh, very nice to walk around. Would you say Meiji Jingu is a must-see in Tokyo? Yeah, I feel like it is. I think so, too. It's really pretty and so historically consequential, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're in Japan, you got to see a temple and a shrine. And this is a very prominent shrine that's easy to visit if you're in Tokyo. Right next to that shrine's garden, there is a a big park called Yoyogi Park. That is pretty great, too, if you like parks. It's also massive. A lot of massive green spaces in Tokyo. Uh, I would recommend going to a dog cafe called Dog Heart. It's right on the edge of the park, and you can rent a dog and take it for a walk. Yeah, I was just about to say, wasn't that where we went to go to go try to get the dog? Sure is. Yeah, that'd be fun. Next up, my first place I would go to in Tokyo every time. Okay. Because I'm into this. <laughs> We're going to Akihabara. You're such a weeb, Paul. <laughs> Akiba or Electric Town. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the center of anime, video, game, manga, or otaku culture, if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Electronics, too. I don't, you didn't say that, did you? I said it was Electric Town, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like an electronics store next to an anime store, next to a manga store, next to another electronics store, and then a hundred of them stacked on top. Yeah, and it just goes like that all the way down the main street. Yeah, with a few maid cafes mixed in here or there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Chuodori is this main street that goes through Akihabara. And yeah, you'll find all the anime merch you can imagine. There are going to be figurines and posters and wall scrolls and cosplay outfits if you're into that. Adult goods if you're into that. This is a must-see if you have any interest whatsoever in anime. Yeah, or manga, or video games, or electronics. Mm -hmm. The Maid Cafes, by the way, we did an episode where we talked extensively about them, episode 30, if you want to check that out. Um, And for the electronics shops, I wanted to elaborate a little bit there, because you might be wondering, well, what kind of electronics shops? Like, are we talking about Best Buy or something? Well, in Japan, there are these, a couple big brands are Bic Camera and Yodobashi Camera. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're big chains, you know, they have stores all over the place and they're huge, like multi-story buildings selling 
every type of electronics you could imagine. They got rice cookers, electric pianos, robots. Listen to episode 76 for more about <laughs> robots. Uh, but it's like, it's really anything, anything electronic, they're going to pack it into this building. And both Bit Camera and Yodobashi Camera, I believe, have locations in Akihabara. But there are also tons of smaller stores. And a lot of these smaller shops are selling things like components and wiring and capacitors. Like, this is for electronics otaku, you know, people that are into tinkering and building things. Yeah, if you want to build a robot, like you can go to all these little stalls and just like pick up switches and circuit boards and whatever you need. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. I've never seen any other place like it where you can just go and there's these little like one man stalls where they've just got like some buckets of stuff out front that you can buy from them. And mm -hmm. there's hundreds of them in a line and you could go get anything to assemble any electronic thing your mind can imagine. Yeah. If you're old enough to remember Radio Shack, it's a little bit like that, but like times a million, you know? Radio Shack. <laughs> remember when you used to be able to buy like wires and, uh, you know, just little things that you can stick on circuit boards? Yeah, we're, we're moving towards the future where it's like, oh, my phone charger broke. I I'm getting a new phone. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and you mentioned if you want to build a robot, I actually found there's a place called Tsukumo Robot Kingdom that's aimed towards people that want to build robots. Nice. Like they sell all the stuff you need. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just throw this out there real quick. If you're into mechanical keyboards, if that means anything to you, there are a bunch of computer shops in Akihabara that sell those. And there's even a specific shop that specializes in mechanical keyboards, you can get all sorts of keycaps and switches and that kind of stuff. That's my personal. Uh, yeah, get get thing. ready, everyone. We're about to have a two and a half hour long episode about mechanical keyboards. I'm done. That was it. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, also in Akihabara, you're going to find a bunch of arcades. Check out episode seventy four for more about arcades. Yep, did a whole episode about it. Uh, another place worth checking out, Paul. I bet you haven't been here. Two K five forty. No. This is a really cool place that has nothing to do with anime or manga or electronics and stuff. What? I know. It's uh, this long row of these little artisan shops underneath a railway line. And they just sell all sorts of little like handmade things like clothes, pottery. Like I found a bunch of really cool handmade pottery. Leather goods, you know, wallets and purses and whatever. Mm. Now that I think about it, that uh, really good vegan restaurant we went to was under the tracks, under the train tracks in Akihabara. That was nearby, yeah. Yeah, when I was at that 2K540, I found this little brass key clip that I've been using ever since my last trip. So it's, it's just cool to like, be able to get a souvenir that you're going to carry with you all the time or that you're going to use all the time. You know, if you're into tea, get a, a fancy little teacup that you can, uh, you know, it's a souvenir that's functional that'll remind you of your trip for a long time. I always like that kind of stuff. That's sensible. Uh, my last tip about Akihabara is don't forget to veer off of that main street. You know, it's, uh, Chuodori is the one that goes straight down and there's tons of that anime stuff you know, on that street, but make sure 
all those little side streets have a bunch of little hidden gems to discover as well. Yeah, and I'd say don't get stuck on the ground floor either. Mm, yeah. Uh, Akihabara is one of the places in the city that goes up. Definitely. You could be seven, eight, nine floors of a store and you still haven't even seen what everything they have. It's a good tip. Uh, moving on now to Asakusa. Go to Sensoji. Yes. Tokyo's oldest temple. You know, like I said, you got to visit a temple and a shrine. You go to Meiji Jingu for the shrine. Go to Sensoji for the temple. Yes. Uh, we just did an episode about it. Episode 87. Yeah, we just talked about Sensoji for an hour. So yep. I think we will maybe not rehash that here. Yep, go there. 87. Asakusa is also known as a historical older part of town. So you're going to find traditional inns known as Ryokan. You're going to find other temples if you want to see more of them. you find like, you know, old-fashioned kind of izakaya places. Um, one interesting attraction is a street called Kapabashi Dogugai Dori. You been here, Paul? Not that I recall. I haven't been there either, but I keep hearing that it's a fun place to explore because the street is lined with shops that sell supplies for restaurants. Okay. So you might be thinking, well, what's interesting about that? That's You're not selling it very well, Jason. Well, the cool thing is all the realistic plastic food that they have there. Like if, you know, if you walk around Japan, you'll see that a bunch of restaurants have these like plastic recreations of a bunch of their dishes in the window so you can pick out your food. Well, this is where they get all that stuff. I bet we could do a whole episode about plastic food in Japan. Probably. But yeah, that is, I haven't thought about that in a while. Almost every restaurant in Japan has a bunch of their dishes in plastic in the front window so you can see what everything looks like. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to just like walk around and look at, I imagine, but you can also find cool souvenirs there. You know, they'll have like little individual pieces of sushi. You can find a plastic version of your favorite kind of sushi and take that home as a souvenir. Oh, you don't have to go to the gachapon and just gamble and try to like get that one piece you want. Yeah, but they have a much larger variety here than in those gachapon machines. Yeah. But I did get like a little uh, shrimp sushi keychain from one of those gachapon machines. Yeah. Uh, you could also, you know, shop for kitchen appliances and, uh, you know, restaurant quality stuff, stuff that'll last a long time. Just what I'm doing on vacation. <laughs> Some people are into cooking. I don't know. <laughs> uh, another attraction in Asakusa is Sumida Park. Yeah, that looked like a really nice, peaceful park. Mm -hmm. uh, on both sides of the Sumida River, there's a little stretch of park that goes for several hundred meters. Mm -hmm. especially in spring you want to check that out because they have a bunch of cherry blossoms yes they do uh, across the river from that is the tokyo sky tree which is technically not in asakusa it's it's in sumida but it's nearby so i wanted to mention it have you been to the sky tree paul no me either it's a uh, broadcasting and observation tower that also happens to be the tallest tower in the world mm-hmm it's uh, 634 meters tall, which is 2,080 feet, which I converted it. It's about 0.39 miles. Wow. It's almost half a mile tall. That's, that's way up there. Now, I should specify, apparently there is a distinction between a tower and a structure. 
because the tallest structure in the world is that Burj Khalifa in Dubai, mm-hmm. which is over half a mile tall. Man. Yeah. I just watched a YouTube video about Dubai. Is it the same one I watched? Probably. About how it's crap? Yeah, and like uh, the Burj Khalifa like doesn't connect to the sewer system. Poop trucks. And they, yeah, they've got, they've got like a line of like a hundred deep trucks waiting to haul the poop away every day. Every day. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I wonder if our YouTube recommendations look very similar, Paul. Like, this is like the greatest building in the world, the achievement of humanity. Uh, we don't have a sewer in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about looks in Dubai. Yeah. Uh, so the sky tree, you can go to the top of it. You know, I think the reason I never went is because I, I think I remember hearing that it's usually a really long wait to get to the top. It costs a few bucks, too. Yeah, so I don't know. It's up to you to decide if it's really worth it. But my last trip, I went to Mori Tower, which is in Roppongi, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But that could be a better yeah, place to get Yeah, there's also the government views. center that you can go for free. Yeah. Like there, There's a lot of places you can go to get a cool view of the city. Definitely. Including Tokyo Tower, which I have been to. You've been up Tokyo Tower? Yeah. Oh. I'm, uh, my first time there. Cool. We went up Tokyo Tower. That's where I bought my little shot glasses. Oh, nice. My, my dirty shot glasses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those ones? Yeah. They're like sake cups with like... Yeah, I bought them uh, right at the base of Tokyo Tower. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Another place I like is Harajuku. You know, we talked about like Shibuya and Shinjuku being youth culture but Harajuku is like the farthest out there, like fashion styles you're probably going to see in Harajuku. Yeah. If you want to see like youth subcultures or, or something, yeah, Harajuku is where you want to go. Uh, especially on Takeshita Street, you're going to find shops selling kawaii clothes and goods. Like it's just a street full, it's packed full of kawaii, right, Paul? Yeah, I remember walking down it. It's just fun. There's just so much to see. And yeah. Just kawaii and bright and colorful and yeah, lots of people. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun walk. For sure. Check out episode 70 if you want to hear more about kawaii culture. Basically, the quickest way I can sum it up is just, it's just cute stuff, you know? A lot of bright colors, cutesy characters and that kind of thing. Uh, would you say Takeshita Street is a must-see, Paul? I think it might be. If you're into like the culture part of it, I'd say definitely. Yeah, It offers something beyond just what you've seen already in Shibuya and Shinjuku. Like You're, mm-hmm. you're going to get something else there, too. Definitely. It's worth seeing that as well. Agreed. And while you're there, if you haven't been to a 100 yen store, there's a Daiso on Takeshita Street. And this is another must-see for me. It doesn't need to be this specific one, but if if you haven't been to a hundred yen shop, go to one because they're awesome. Like maybe you've been to dollar stores in the U.S. or whatever, but the ones in Japan are just, they're, they're better. <laughs> they're better. <laughs> right, Paul? I agree. I mean, this is a little personal, but due to various circumstances, I needed to buy a pair of underwear. And I went to the I went to the hundred yen shop, and I was like, "Whatever, I'm just gonna wear them like once or twice on this vacation, and I'm done with them forever." They became like my 
go-to pair of underwear for like three years until they finally fell apart for a hundred yen. I'm getting the sense that there's a story behind this, Paul. No, like, no, 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 no. It just happened. Really? It just happened. Really? You're not? I just That's like, such a tease. I just like tore a pair, you know. They were on their last legs. It wasn't like some explosive no, incident. No, 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 okay. no. There was no blowout. It if was you just, say so. uh, I just needed to add to my wardrobe. Okay. I didn't, I didn't pack properly. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I believe you. But, you know, I come here, I'm, I'm back here, and I'm spending like, I swear I'm spending like $15 on a pair of underwear, and I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. And they don't even live up to the 100 yen underwear I got in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, I've gotten underwear in Japan, too. Uh, not from a 100 yen shop, but uh, but it is, they, I don't know, oh, they yeah? have good How underwear Oh, yeah? How did there. that come about, Jason? Well, on my last trip, I was in Okinawa, and they had this cool Okinawa-themed underwear. It says Okinawa on the waistband, and it's got Shisa, those little guardian dog guys, all over the, like, in a pattern. And I just thought they looked cool. Okay, okay, good story. Yeah. Last thing I had for Harajuku is, if you're interested in picking up some Japanese denim... Oh, Yeah. Pure Blue Japan has a shop in Harajuku. And if you don't know what I'm talking about and you want to learn more about Japanese denim, check out episode 68. I talked about it at length. Right, Paul? Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking, if you only got a limited time and like you need to pick up some denim, but got to go to Jean Street. Oh, yeah. If you're in Japan That's and a you want away. some raw denim. It is, but so, so worth it. There's also a Momotaro store. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, it's Omote Sando, which is a little ways away. But anyway, we should probably move on, huh? Yeah. Next area we're going to talk about is Shimbashi. This is a business district known for its restaurants and nightlife. I saw it called the Salaryman's Playground. And I can attest to that because I was hanging outside Shimbashi Station one night and uh, a drunk salary man sat down next to me and kind of like bumped into me and like sort of half fell over into me. <laughs> and, uh, he, you know, he apologized and then we just started talking and I, I had some time to, to waste before a reservation. So we just sat and had a conversation and by the end of it, he was telling me he loved me and uh, we, we had a, a good time. You're a lovable guy. Thanks. Yeah, I've heard Shimbashi described as like a more down-to-earth place. You know, not super fancy, like just go out, get a drink, reasonable prices for Tokyo. Okay. And a lot of, yeah, salarymen. There's like the everyday worker. A lot of people live there. It's a very central part. Like there's a ton of transportation that ends there or is the hub there. So you can get anywhere from there. So it's a nice spot to live in that regard for people. There's one specific thing I wanted to mention in Shimbashi. Paul, can you guess what it is? Uh, the gay bars? No, but go on. Uh, apparently there's a lot of gay bars there. Okay. I was going to mention Kagaya. Ah, yes. Must see. Period. <laughs> yeah. If you're of drinking age, which is 20 in Japan, by the way, Go to Kageya. Like, it's not super well-known. It's not a huge touristy place or anything, but it'll blow your mind. You'll have the funnest night of your life if you go drink at Kageya. 
It's not just a meal and a drink. It's an experience. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's a show. It's it's great. It's a lot of things. Yes. Uh, we talked about it in episode 49, if that's too mysterious for you and you want to hear a little bit more about it. But yeah, it's great. He got me with the shake mug. I could barely drink my beer straight. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was fun. Okay, next up is Ropongi. This area is most known for Ropongi Hills, which is a mega complex with all sorts of stuff. They got shops and restaurants, their apartments, offices, movie theaters, cafes, there's a museum, there's a hotel, there are parks. The idea is it's a city within a city. You can live, work, and do all your entertainment and shopping all in this massive complex. It's pretty crazy. In the middle of all this is Mori Tower, which I mentioned before. That's where you can get a great view of the city. It's 54 stories tall. You can go to the very top. There's an indoor observation deck that you can walk around and see all 360 degrees. There's also a helicopter pad on the roof, and you can go up there and walk around, you know, walk, walk around, look out at the city in the open air. That's pretty cool. The Mori Art Museum is also in this tower, and they have different exhibitions that change over time. So you know, if you want to visit, you can check out what exhibitions they have at that time. What do you have to say about Rapongi Hills, Paul? It's architecturally awesome. Mm-hmm. Like I went there and just walked around for half a day, and it's really cool just seeing all the buildings and everything. It is cool. Another notable thing about the stores around there is that they're super expensive. For real. I remember being there. It was my first time in Japan. I think I was 21, and I was making like not a ton of money. And we were just walking around inside, and I was looking at these stores, and like, you know it's high-end because there's hardly any merchandise in there. <laughs> there's like three things laid out on a table. And like, I looked yeah. at a couple price tags for sunglasses, I think, and they were all like over $3,000. And I was just like, yeah. Uh, yeah. how does anyone buy this stuff? Right. These aren't even like the expensive stores that you see sometimes, like a Prada, Louis Vuitton, Coach. No, that's garbage compared to like these the, places. These this guys is... like buy Coach and glue diamonds onto it and like sell it for twice as much. Like it's crazy. This is like the uh, the super high fashion stuff that you never see in stores. You only see it on the runway. Yeah. Like uh, Balenciaga is one of them that I had like heard about, but I'd never seen any of their stuff in person. Yeah, and like then all who of a sudden, you see wearing that yeah. stuff? And then there's a store and you're like, holy crap, there it is. And you go in there and you start looking around and looking at tags and I'm like, this is just... I feel like I'm on a different planet. Like, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah. Every every piece of clothes is like more than my monthly salary. Yeah. And all the restaurants around are pretty expensive too, like over $100 a plate generally. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't spend a penny in Rapongi because I couldn't afford to. Me too. I just went up to that tower that I got discount tickets to. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Rapongi is also known to be a popular nightlife spot for foreigners in Tokyo. A lot of foreigner-friendly bars, restaurants, and nightclubs. Good place to hang out if you want to let loose a little bit in the city. Yeah. 
you know, I think I had on my list of places I wanted to visit there, there was like a British pub. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I just want to <laughs> see what a British pub in Japan is like, you know? Didn't we end up in a British pub in Shibuya one, yeah, on Halloween? We did. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. Good beer. Rapongi and the surrounding districts are also home to many embassies. So even more foreigners around. Cool. That's why I go to Tokyo. Check out all the foreigners. <laughs> yeah, right? Might get to meet some Australians or... Maybe even some Europeans. I'm jealous of Australians. They're so close to Japan but relative so, to where we are. So far from other things, but yes. Yes, you're right. That's Who cares about of, all the other things? That's an interesting way of thinking about it. Like, oh, Japanese people get to live in Japan all the time. No, <laughs> but I, I'm envious of these people that are only a <laughs> six-hour flight away. <laughs> yeah, just thinking about the flight. Yeah, that's a long one. The National Arts Center Tokyo is also in Roppongi. Uh, it is Japan's largest art museum, but it doesn't have a permanent collection. It showcases exhibits that rotate. Interesting. So I think we should talk about Ginza now. Known as the chicest of all Tokyo neighborhoods. Uh, I've apparently. heard it's the premier oh shopping district. In all of Japan. Goodness me. And they let you know it. Yeah. You're going to find expensive high-class shops and boutiques, hundreds of flagship retail locations for fashion brands, stuff like that. Uh, during Japan's economic bubble, land here in Ginza was the most expensive in the world. Yeah. And it's so... It's still incredibly expensive. Yeah, it still retains that, that air of high-class stuff. You know, I remember there was a documentary I watched a while ago about Yakuza, and there was this ex-Yakuza guy that was bragging about, like, in his heyday, they always hung around Ginza. They were always drinking and, you know, hanging out with all these pretty ladies in Ginza. That's a flex, though, because in Ginza, it's, like, famous that even, like, a cup of coffee is going to cost you 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. You go hang out at a bar in Ginza, you might be spending 15, 20 bucks a beer. So he was he was showing off. I was living the high life. I was in Ginza throwing money around. Exactly. One thing Ginza is known for is uh, the clock tower. There's a old building that has a clock tower on the front in the corner at the top. It's kind of like the symbol of Ginza. Okay. So it's kind of a cool thing to see when you go there. Again, Ginza is another spot where I went and didn't spend any money, <laughs> but I walked around. <laughs> it's a nice place. I'm a big fan of an area called Kichijoji. This is a little further out from the middle of the city, so it doesn't really feel like what you might think of as Tokyo. It doesn't feel like you're in the middle of this giant city, a little more residential, a little more relaxed and laid back. It's kind of a more peaceful area. Yeah, I heard Kichijoji is where people in Tokyo want to live. Yeah. Like it's considered like a nice place to live. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are two main attractions here. One is Inokashira Park, which is this big, beautiful park. They got a lake there. You can rent swan boats. They have a little zoo there apparently too. <laughs> yeah. Didn't go to the zoo. The other main attraction is right kind of on the edge of that park. 
and that is the Ghibli Museum. Yep. Pretty self-explanatory. If you are familiar with Studio Ghibli, which is an animation studio that has made all sorts of super famous movies, like family movies, like uh, My Neighbor Totoro, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, that stuff. To name a few. Yep. So if you're a fan of them, definitely check out the Ghibli Museum. I was there on my last trip, and uh, it's, it's very cool, especially... Like, I feel like the more Ghibli movies you've seen, the more you're going to get out of it because they have a bunch of, like, the original sketches of characters and that kind of thing. Makes sense. Yeah. You'll want to plan ahead, though. If you want to go there, it's notoriously difficult to get tickets. I mm. ordered them in advance from some website. Clever. Yeah, so be prepared for that. Next up is Ueno. Paul, I know you got stuff to say about Ueno. Yeah, for me, Ueno is pretty much all about the park. Ueno Park is this huge public park right next to Ueno Station. And there's so many things inside this park. <laughs> Did you go to the zoo? Nah, I was with Bob. Oh, right. And he wasn't into zoos. And now I'm not into zoos. He was right. <laughs> so no, we didn't. But there's so much to see there. It's incredible. There is a big zoo. As you mentioned, the park was originally the grounds for Kaneji Temple, which used to be one of the largest and wealthiest temples in the Edo period. Following the Meiji Revolution, during the Boshin Civil War, there was actually a big battle fought there. And the Meiji side won. And there's a statue of one of the generals from the battle that stands still in the park near the southern entrance. Cool. It's got a cool historical note. What else is in the park? Um, I don't know. I actually haven't spent any time in the park really. I saw there are a lot of art and history museums around. Yeah, there's like a handful of museums in the park. Oh, inside the park? Yeah, they're inside the park grounds. Hmm. The Tokyo National Museum is really big, and that's there. Also, there is... Uh, a pond in the park and on an island in the middle of the park there's still a temple hall that still stands from the old shrine that's dedicated to ben 10 cool so it's like this little it's a nice little view like you walk around the park and there's a little building and an island yeah with all the museums and everything you could easily spend a whole day there and the zoo oh my gosh you could probably spend half a week in ueno park i'll have to check that out next time all of my time in Ueno, I spent at Ameya Yokocho, which is also right next to Ueno Station. It's a huge street market sort of thing. They got food vendors, all sorts of shops. It's just a fun place to wander around and see all the stuff they have for sale. There's also Japanese denim there if, uh, <laughs> if you're in there. Nice! Yeah. Uh, Hinoya and Amerikaya. You know, for a couple of stores you can check out. I'm actually kind of waiting for the weather to get colder because in the spring i bought two pairs of nice jeans and mm. it's been so hot i pretty much haven't worn them in months and i'm like yeah. excited to break them in i'm with you man i have uh, i have my summer jeans and my winter jeans and i've put a lot of good fades on my summer jeans over the summer but i'm excited to get back into my super heavyweight denim once <laughs> my cutoff is 50 degrees once the highs are below 50 degrees then i switch to the heavyweight winter denim. jeans yep okay okay i like that you got a plan 
Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Winter's my, well, fall is my favorite season, but winter's pretty good too. Okay. I think you're in the minority there, but. I know. Not on the fall thing. Everybody likes fall. Yeah. Next up is Ikebukuro. I like Ikebukuro. It holds, I, like the, I like the name. I like saying Ikebukuro. <laughs> it is a fun name. It also holds a special place in my heart because it is the very first part of Tokyo that I ever explored. On my very first trip, I stayed in Ikebukuro. Oh, nice. On your recommendation, actually. Ah. It was a hotel that you had stayed at on your trip with Bob. And um, so, yeah, I took the train straight from Narita to Ikebukuro, and walking out of that station was my first glimpse of Tokyo. And it's just a really cool place. It's busy. Like, I think Ikebukuro Station is the second busiest station in Japan behind Shinjuku. Third? Uh, Shibuya and Shinjuku are one and two. Uh, reversed. <laughs> Shinjuku, Shibuya, Ikebukuro. I'm going to verify. I, I swear I read Ikebukuro was number two. According to Wikipedia, Ikebukuro Station is the second busiest railway station in the world. But that's Wikipedia, so I'm not going to take the time to verify that further. But the point is, it's a busy station. But it's not quite, like, the area isn't as packed with people as Shinjuku, I would say. I'd agree with that. So, you know, there's still a ton to see and do. But I, I don't know, I just like the feel of Ikebukuro a little more than Shinjuku. It's not as hectic but still a cool place to see. Um, one interesting thing about Ikebukuro is they have an area with a bunch of anime shops, but unlike in Akihabara, this one actually targets the female otaku. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. So if you're looking for the butler cafe, you might have a better chance of finding it here. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I, I could still explore Ikebukuro a lot because I didn't see that stuff I didn't really see a whole ton of stuff on the east side of the station. I mostly stayed west of the station, but I don't know. There, there's a lot to see. Well, there's a huge complex called Sunshine City that's got shopping, an aquarium, a planetarium, a museum, a theme park, a hotel, all involved in this place. Like, There's a lot around. Okay, Tsukiji. This is an area you might have heard of because it used to be home to Tsukiji Market, which was Japan's biggest fish market. Uh, in 2018, the market moved to Toyosu, but the outer retail market is still in Tsukiji, so you can still go there to find restaurants and shops. They have these restaurant supply stores there. If you want to get one of those famous Japanese knives, this might be a good place to look for those. Is this the second time this episode we're talking about restaurant supply shops? Yeah, but I mean... <laughs> yeah, no, but anything, anything like for a kitchen or food-related, you can get there. Mm -hmm. Odaiba. I say Odaiba is a must-see. Absolutely. You could spend so much time here. So Odaiba is an artificial island in Tokyo Bay, and it is awesome because it's made for leisure and entertainment like that's what it's all about yeah the whole point is to go there spend a day and have a great time they have shopping malls they have arcades they have the statue of liberty they have a life-sized gundam 
You can get great views of Tokyo Bay. You can see Rainbow Bridge. Yeah, you cross Rainbow Bridge to get there. What a magical place. Yeah. Paul, did you ever go to Toyota MegaWeb? I didn't. Oh, it is cool. It's, uh, it's basically a theme park based on cars. Like it's a Toyota theme park. Yeah. So you can see the latest concept cars. They have this history garage. My first time there, I didn't even, I was just wandering around. I knew nothing about anything. And I stumbled into this history garage. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by like, there's a DeLorean over there. Oh, there's like an old classic Ferrari over here. Like, what? It's awesome. Like, if you're into cars at all, you got to go to MegaWeb, and especially the history garage. You're, you're going to see the most amazing cars in the world. Yeah. Well, Daiba is also really cool for the architecture. Like the telecom center, the Fuji TV building. There's a museum of maritime science and the whole building looks like a massive ship. Hmm. Also, Tokyo Big Site, the hmm. convention center. It's four upside down pyramids all connected above ground. It, it, it looks so cool. Yeah, it is a cool looking building. Another thing you, you just have to see. This is another must see. This is a must see within a must see because Odaiba is a must see. And then if you're in Odaiba, you got to go to Team Lab Borderless. Did you hear it's closing? Borderless is closing? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. I was on their website like a week ago and I didn't see anything about that. Slated to close August 2022. Sorry to rain on your parade, dude. I, I just verified it. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, dude. It looks so cool. All those pictures you took last time. Oh my God. I wanted to go so bad. Yeah, it's one of the coolest places I've ever seen. I, I can't imagine why they're closing it down unless there just aren't enough. There's not enough tourism to keep it going. I don't know. They they're cl- seem to be closing a few things in Odaiba and they're going to like rebuild them and make new mm. things. I don't know. Well, that's sad. Okay, I guess that's it for Odaiba. <laughs> I'm just sad now. Well, uh, you know, let's let's bring it up a notch and talk about food. That always gets you going. Okay, what, what, what do you got about food? On the fifth floor of a mall called Aqua City, there's a food theme park where you can try ramen from all over Japan, different uh, styles. Yeah. So just get three bowls back to back, try them all against each other, compare directly. That's one of those places that makes me lament that I don't have several stomachs because, yeah, I could just eat all day if I had room. <laughs> yeah, right. But all the malls are cool. A bunch of great shops. Yeah, I think we found. Cool. I think we found some raw denim there too. You we were like talking to a guy. You're thinking of uh, Yokohama. Oh, you're right. You're right. My bad. Yeah, we didn't go to a dive together. What am I thinking? That's true. Oh, and uh, I mentioned the uh, Statue of Liberty there. Yeah. You know anything about that? I saw it. You ever wonder why there's a Statue of Liberty in Japan? Uh, I did, and I heard the story, and I forgot already. I didn't write it down, but as I recall, so France gave the Statue of Liberty to the U.S., right? Yep. And it's massive. But when they were like designing that, they built smaller versions of it in France. So they still, like France has, I think, at least a couple statues of liberty around. They're just smaller versions. Okay. And one of them, they sent to Japan just to like display for a while, like temporarily. And they liked it so much in Japan. They're like, we need to get our own. And so now they have one in Odaiba that's permanent. <laughs> okay, cool. But yeah, it's much smaller than the, the one in New York. 
Yeah, but you can get up close to it. Yeah. Is that it for uh, neighborhoods? I think that's enough for now, yeah. Yeah. Episode's getting a little long. Uh, I'm sure, you know, I mean, obviously, there are a bunch of other neighborhoods that we didn't have time to talk about, but if anyone out there has a favorite neighborhood that we missed and you have something to say about it, write in and maybe we'll read your email or message on the podcast. You can reach us on Instagram. You're at, at SJP Podcast. You could also send an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, but now we're going to talk about how to get around Tokyo. If you are visiting, how do you get to all these different places? Well, it's very simple because, like we said, the trains are amazing. That's really the only answer you need. Yeah, a good pair of shoes and a train pass. Mm-hmm. And you can get anywhere. Yeah. And it can be a little confusing at first trying to figure out this train system because there are a bunch of different companies that run a bunch of different lines that go in different directions. But I have three things for you that will make everything super, super easy. Number one is get a Suica. Yes. What's a Suica, Paul? Uh, It's a card that you can uh, put money on and then you just tap it to pay for trains anywhere in the city pretty much. any train. It doesn't matter what company it is. If you have the Suica and you preload some money on there, you can walk into any train station, any train line, no problem. Number two is if you have a JR pass, you can use that for any of the JR lines. And not all of the lines in Tokyo are JR lines, but there are many. It doesn't make sense to get a JR pass if you're not leaving Tokyo. But if you're going to Kyoto or Osaka and back, a round trip of that length makes the JR pass worth it. You're going to be saving money at that point. But if you're just staying in Tokyo for your entire trip, it makes more sense to just get a Suica. And if you do want a JR Pass, just got to throw this in there. We got our travel tools page on our website where we have an affiliate link to the JR website. So you can get your JR Pass that way and help out the podcast at the same time. Number three, my third tip. Paul, can you guess what my third tip is? Um, How do you know what train to get on and what time it's leaving? Ah, uh, yeah, you look it up. Online. What's the website? Hyperdia.com. H-Y-P-E-R-D-I-A.com. This website is is the best tool you could possibly have. It's amazing. For the trains in Japan. You could spend 30 minutes looking at subway maps and timetables and like think you've probably figured out how to get somewhere. Or you could spend one minute going to this website, typing in where you want to go, and it will tell you exactly when, where, and how to get there. Yeah, it gives you all the info you could possibly want. It's going to tell you what platform to be at, exactly what time it's leaving, how long it's going to take, how much it's going to cost, everything. And it's all free. It's amazing. Yeah, and if you got a pocket Wi-Fi, I think even Google Maps, you can like search, you know, using transit. I wouldn't say it's nearly as good for like figuring it out, but Mm. even that will like walk you up to the train station and that sort of thing. That's a good point. Maybe that's a number four is Google Maps is super helpful when you're wandering around Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got the uh, address of a restaurant or something you're trying to find, it can be really hard to find storefronts in Japan sometimes. 
That's true. So having having uh, the map out and like knowing you're there, then you can look around a little harder and maybe find it. Mm-hmm. Got anything else, Paul? I think we should probably wrap it up. All right. Well, if you are enjoying the podcast and you would like to help support the podcast, please consider donating. There is a donate page on our website, which is sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. There's also a contact page. That's a third way you could reach out to us. I already mentioned Instagram and uh, email, but we have a contact page on the website as well. And again, if you feel like we missed an important neighborhood or even any specific attractions, any must-see stuff in Tokyo that you wish we had talked about, definitely reach out and we will talk about it in a future episode. Paul, what are we talking about next time? The next episode, we're going to be diving into Ikebana flower arrangements. That is going to be a really interesting one, I think. You know, before I dug into it a little bit, I really knew nothing at all about Ikebana. It's like, okay, you arrange some flowers. How much could there possibly be to say about it? But this is one of my favorite types of episodes when we go into something that I know nothing about and it ends up being a really deep rabbit hole, you know? Yeah. Yeah, all I know is that uh, it exists. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I bet, there's, uh, I bet there's a lot there. Yeah. That should be a good one. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Lonely in Tokyo. I like that song. I don't know that song. It's a good song. What song is that? Lonely in Tokyo. Thank you. That helps. <laughs> Who by, is it? By Mirei. Who's that? She's a Japanese idol turned pop star. Hmm. She writes lyrics about the seedy underbelly of the Japanese idol industry. Nice.